Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. This morning, uh, the passage is Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, and Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. When you fast, do not look som- somber, as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will, re- re- will reward you. This is the word of the, w- the, word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. How are you? My name is uh, Dave, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, hello. And if we have had a chance to meet already, hello to you as well. Um, really good to be here. VJ, um, our lead pastor, is over I- with our congregation in Bolton this morning. And uh, we're actually in Bolton. We've been moving through a, a series on vision as we're in this uh, launch phase, startup phase kind of thing. And here we're actually wrapping up a series as we move into Thanksgiving weekend next weekend and begin to start a whole new series, uh, Frequently Asked Questions. And so I'm really excited uh, to get back into this routine of team preaching uh, between the two of us. That being said, I want to invite you uh, tonight to join us actually in Bolton at 55 Healy Road. Uh, once a month, we have something called Encounter Prayer Night. And this typically happens on the last Sunday of the month throughout the school year, uh, September to June. And and yet tonight we decided instead of doing one in Vaughan and one in Bolton, uh, we're actually going to do the whole thing together at a place called The Exchange, which is part of the Caledon Central Services, uh, uh, an agency that we've been connected with as a church over in Bolton. And and so if you're available tonight, uh, or even if you're not available, you think right now, I'd encourage you to just change your schedule uh, to make yourself available to take the trek out there. We're going to be praying into what this means to be uh, one church in two locations. And the congregation there has gone through a number of of difficult challenges over this past year uh, for a variety of reasons. And so there's a number of things for us to just lean into uh, and pray into. If you do uh, plan to come, and you can remember all this, uh, Kate's going to give the details again later on, but we'd encourage you to bring like a canned good uh, to, to, to donate. Part of the partnership is that we get to use their space for free, uh, but we also want to help in stocking their pantry uh, for people that come in throughout the week and have those needs. So uh, 7.30 tonight, 55 Healy Road, Encounter Prayer Night. 
This past week, uh, two weeks ago actually, I was invited to a gathering that was happening in Halliburton, and I was required to be up there, uh, you know, just after dinner time on Friday night, but I decided I was going to leave mid-morning on Friday, and I was going to just take my sweet time driving up. Um, I was going to stop uh, at a coffee shop that I had in mind. I was going to enjoy the drive. Maybe if, I mean, the weather was kind of crazy on that Friday, if you remember when there was all these wild winds and things a few Fridays ago. Uh, so I decided, well, maybe I'll have a chance to stop and enjoy some of the scenery. Nothing has really turned colors yet, so I just saw everything green and, and gray because of how the weather was. But anyways, I had this day. There was this coffee shop in Aurelia that I really wanted to go to, so I went there. Uh, I ordered my double shot Americano, and I went out on the patio as kind of like this covered patio, and it was a little warm out there, so I figured just before the rain I can sit there. And I didn't pull out my phone. I didn't pull out my computer. I didn't even pull out a book. I just sat there with my coffee, and I waited to see what would happen. A and you wouldn't believe what happened. Um, a guy named Steve came with his coffee and sat down, and he didn't have a phone, and he didn't have a computer either, or a book. And we began to talk to each other, and it felt like I was actually human again. It's um, kind of what I felt. And so we struck up this conversation, and you know, I asked him, well, what's, what's bringing you up north? And he says, well, I'm coming up for my last sail uh, of the year. He has a sailboat that he keeps on Lake Simcoe. This is my last sail, and then I'm going to wrap it and store it for the winter. Now, I don't know a ton about boats, uh, but I know enough about boats to know there's a difference between motorboats and sailboats. And I've been around people who have sailed, and I know that typically speaking, they've got some pretty cool stories to tell. So I just began asking him about his boat. I said, you know, how long have you had it? Where do you like to sail? Uh, you know, is it a lot of work? Was it like a fixer-upper kind? of deal or did you buy a nice one Whatever. and anyways he just went on and on and on and told me uh, about his sailboat and as we were talking I said you know is your do you want to just keep it on like Simcoe like for always like these day trips he says sometimes he sleeps on it overnight you know or do you have like dreams to like bring it through the Trent Severn and like I don't even know how all that works but I, you can get apparently from here to the ocean and that's amazing to me um, do you ever want to do that and he says there's actually this kind of unspoken thing or this big dream rather that that a lot of sailors have and that is that one day I want to get on the ocean. It's going to be totally different, categorically different than anything here. But for now, until I retire at least, he's about 60, I think he said, until I retire, I, I want to keep it on Simcoe and I want to just keep practicing and getting myself comfortable, familiar with how everything goes up and down. So that way one day I could be prepared for what might be next. We kept talking, we talked about marriage, we talked about uh, him getting ready for retirement, we talked about, well, he mostly talked about his dislike for millennials before he found out I was a millennial. Uh, <laughs> his face was a little red. But we talked about a number of things. I was able to share about what our church is up to, and, and I prayed with him, and then we parted ways. I got in the car and kept driving north. And as I was driving, uh, I, this conversation was, was working through my mind, and, and I remembered this illustration, or this, uh, this analogy, really, that I heard uh, some time ago. Maybe it's familiar to you, and it's about motorboats and sailboats. Basically, it's that motorboats are about the destination, and sailboats are about the journey. Okay, motorboats are about the destination, and sailboats are about the journey. Now, again, I'm not really much of a boater, and so if you are, you might have issue with this whole thing, but I would just ask for a bit of grace and come with me on this uh, analogy for a minute, okay? Um, and so I actually think that this idea, motorboats being about the destination, sailboats being about the journey, actually gives us a bit of a picture uh, of what life is like in terms of the various ways we can have, uh, the various ways the pace of our life happens to go. And so we live in one of the largest and fastest growing cities in North America. Um, we are, uh, you know, in the middle, we are one of the main real estate bubbles uh, in, in our country. Uh, it is very, very busy here. There's a, there's a sense that, um, and I don't know if it's just me, maybe some of you as well, but I, there's this sense where it's not only do I need to be aware of, of where I need to be next, but I'm also always thinking about how I'm going to get there. What's the most efficient way to get there? Do I actually have to go there? Can I just work from 
from home, to skip the commute, because there's a sense of chaos, there's a sense of busyness, there's a sense of being overwhelmed, and, and in a way, I kind of attribute this to this idea of the motorboat, right? How do I get from here to there as fast as possible? I, I put money into, the, I bought this machine that works, and even if it breaks down, I don't even need to do the work to restore it because I'll just bring it to the shop, but it needs to be trusty and reliable so I can start it up and I can boot across you know, the water or across the city or wherever I need to get as fast as possible. And, and I, I think um, as I talk with people in my life and as I talk with other people, one thing I often hear people saying is that even though this is the case in their lives, it's busy, it feels like it's fast-paced, how do I get from here to there as fast as possible without any obstacles? It seems like as I talk to people, more often than not, they're saying, I wish I could just slow everything down. I wish I could just catch my breath. I wish I could enjoy the scenery. I wish that there was a little bit more of a journey in this thing called life as opposed to just getting from one place to the other. And, and maybe a question that is helpful for us to actually ask to, to, to run a diagnostic about where we're at, and is, this is the question. Are you living the life that you always thought you would live or that you always wanted to live? Like if you just took a quick think through of even this past week, the way that things went, did you always have in mind that you would have that many bills to pay? Did you always have in mind that you'd have too many things to do around the house, that you could never get to it? Did you always have in mind that you'd, you'd have to have, uh, that, that your relationships would be this complex? Did you always imagine that or did you think it would be a little bit different? And I think one of the things that's piled onto us as we live our lives is that we get so caught up and so consumed in needing to be here or there or, or, or busy doing this thing or that thing or not doing this thing because we really need to do that. And then there's a bunch of things we haven't gotten to yet. And all along, we're just saying, man, I just wish I could just stop for a second. I just wish I could catch my breath. I just wish I had a totally different pace of life. And I actually think that's a lot like what the sailboat is about. The thing about being on a sailboat is it's not about getting from here to there. It's about enjoying your time on the boat enjoying your time on the water, enjoying the scenery that's around you. And so this is really all getting us to this main point, which is we have been working through a series called Apprentice with Jesus, learning the ways that lead to life. And we've been emphasizing, we've been focusing for the past four weeks on spiritual practices, different things that we can do that will change the way we experience this life. Because here's the thing, when we look to Jesus, in scripture, we get the most complete picture of what it has ever meant to be a human. And one of the things we see in Jesus's life is that he was never in a rush. His disciples, his followers, were often in a rush to try and get him places or to do the next thing or the next thing, but he never seemed to be in a rush. And when we look to him, if we're saying that this is the true picture of what it means to be human, then there's actually things we need to learn from him in how he lived his life. And the way that he lived his life included engaging in spiritual practices on a regular basis. And so Vijay started us off by talking about the, the practice of community, how important it is for us to be in community. Then I came a few weeks ago and we talked about the importance of practicing prayer. Then Vijay spoke about solitude, the practice of being on our own, just us and Jesus. And today we're moving into another topic. But before we get there, we've got to keep in mind that there's this idea of practice, right? It doesn't make any sense to just learn about various practices that are out there. The, the whole point of learning about these practices is actually because there's something about them that we're supposed to do. And as we do them, we're only doing them because we saw Jesus do them and we want a piece of the life that he has. And Jesus has said to every one of us, come follow me. He's the master, we're the apprentice, come follow me. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to show you. And as we're going to see today, I'm going to feed you. 
And so as we conclude this series today, we talk about one more spiritual practice, and and maybe it's one that you're hoping uh, I don't talk about or you're hoping we would just skip over in this series, but uh, we're talking about fasting. Fasting. And I was going to come up with some other illustration, but I figured we should just go straight to what Google told me the main definition is. To abstain from all or some kinds of food or drink, especially as a religious or spiritual observance, or here are the synonyms that they put up, just to make it really blatantly clear. Eating nothing, abstaining from food, refraining from eating, going without food, going hungry, starving yourself. And here we are, you know, at church talking about the things that we see Jesus do and some of the things Jesus did we're like totally into. I'd love to do that. And then we run into these things from time to time where we're like, yeah, but he didn't actually mean that one. I mean, well, there's so many. How could we, I mean, we've only covered four in this series. There's a whole lot more uh, spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines as they've been known as, as well. There's so many more. I mean, why can't we just go on to one of these other ones, right? But here we are. And one thing we see is that fasting, really simply, is deciding not to eat for a longer than normal period of time with a spiritual purpose in mind. That's an important distinctive because some of you ate your breakfast 90 minutes ago and you haven't eaten since and you're beginning to think about your lunch, which will be in another 90 minutes and you're like, am I fasting right now? Am I doing it? No, you're not fasting. You're just (laughs) existing in the gap between meals. This is what all of us are doing right now. That's not actual fasting because that purpose in mind is actually what really matters. And so just as we get into seeing how uh, Jesus, is, uh, Jesus had an experience with fasting and what we can glean from him uh, in that, I, I just want to say this first and foremost. Over the course of this whole series, but especially as it comes to the topic of fasting, right, starving yourself, going without food for a period of time, uh, some of you might have a lot of apprehension when it comes to this, not because you don't want to do it, but because you think that here I am about to heap on some type of burden, Right, and say, if you're going to be a real serious Christian, then you need to discipline yourself by starving yourself so you'll feel the physical plane and that'll put you I- in partnership and you'll be able to experience what Jesus himself uh, experienced. Or maybe you think I'm going to say, you know, uh, we often talk about re- relationships and that being the primary way we encounter God, but not today. Today I'm going to hit on the religion and this is exactly what you need to do and if you don't do this, then you're, not, then you're missing out and you're actually, you know, you have to question whether or not God loves you and I hope you can tell by my tone and, and if we know each other even a little bit, that, and Vijay, this is not at all the direction we're taking this thing. Because that is not at all what we believe about any of these spiritual practices. We don't see any of these things as something you absolutely have to do, otherwise God may turn his back on you. Or if you really want to be sure that God loves you or will bless you, then you better do these things. That's not at all our attitude. Rather, we're saying Jesus lived this perfect, beautiful life. And one of the ways, one of the things he did was engage in these spiritual practices and he actually shows us the way to experiencing the fullness of life that we're really hungry for, I think. And so this is not about that. And we'll actually see that this idea of being accepted or being loved is actually not a part of Jesus' motivation. We'll see how that all plays out in just a second. So three things. Or one thing I want to say as we, we set into this is that we fast from food to be fed from God or to be fed by God. We fast from food to be fed by God. And that'll function kind of as this bottom line, this, 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 the thing that we're trying to follow all the way through the course of what we're going to look at this morning. So three ways we'll, we'll observe scripture today. One is that we're going to see one of Jesus' experiences with fasting. Then we're going to look, secondly, quickly at Jesus' teaching on fasting. And then thirdly, we're going to look at some practical things we can do to experience the joy and the fullness of life that fasting offers us when we practice it. That's, that's our, our direction. So let's start. Number one, one of the experiences that Jesus had with fasting. 
We see in Matthew chapter four, it says, then Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So for a bit of context, a bit of uh, historical framework where this was all taking place, this took place following Jesus's baptism in water. And so for the first 30 years of Jesus's life, he lived a very simple life, pretty much uh, a life of obscurity, off the radar. Nobody really knew who he was. We don't even get a whole lot of what was going on there when we read through scripture. But here he is at 30 years old. Um, his cousin, John the Baptist, leads him into the waters of baptism and he is immersed in water, which means he went under the water and then he gets pulled back up out of the water and as he comes out of the water, the, 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 uh, the, the, the accounts that are written down say that a voice was heard from heaven that said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Every single thing that Jesus did in his life following the time of his baptism, he did knowing that he was loved by his father knowing that he was accepted by his father, knowing that his father in heaven was, was pleased with him. And this is important for us in all facets of life, but it's particularly important for us as we look to the spiritual practices that Jesus engaged in. Jesus didn't do any of the things he did. He didn't pray to earn God's favor. He didn't, he didn't fast to make sure that God really loved him. He didn't spend time in solitude to really be sure that he'd be able to live a blessed, full life. He didn't do all that because before he did anything, his father in heaven had already said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And for some of you, that actually needs to be a chain-breaking phrase or thought for you. Because some of you have maybe been held captive by this idea that I'm disappointing God. I'm letting God down because I haven't done any of these things. And actually, you guys are doing a four-week series, and I, I can't even have the time or the, the wherewithal to even figure out how to do one. And, and I guess I'm not measuring up. And, and here's the thing. That's not at all the way that we're coming at this. Instead, we're saying Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life on our behalf, was accepted by God, was loved by God. And when we put our trust in him, when we say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. Jesus, I believe you are, 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 are the savior of the world. Like you actually died on the cross. And when you did that, you did that with all of humanity in mind, dying the death that we deserve for our sin. I, I believe that. And that when you rose again from the dead, Jesus, miraculously, that, that somehow by faith, I actually get to experience the fullness of life that you experienced when you were physically raised. And so this is not about making sure we do anything to, to, to please God in that sense. No, no, it's not that. Instead, we say, Jesus, please God, in everything that he did, and by faith in him, we are motivated to say, God loves me, and so here I'm gonna do everything I can to live the life that I know he set before me. And so this is the framework within which Jesus begins his earthly ministry. Chapter four, verse two, is perhaps the most obvious verse in all of scripture. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No, duh. Right? What is that like a minor detail? Like, like, and what's interesting is that Jesus likely would have been telling uh, the, the disciples that this happened because this took place before he had actually called his disciples, his followers to come with him, uh, to apprentice with him. And so Jesus would have had to tell them and he would be like, guys, so at the very beginning, just after I was baptized, I was, in the, I was out in the desert. The Holy Spirit led me into the desert and I was wandering around and I was praying. And during that time, even though I was getting really hungry, uh, my father in heaven was feeding me, right? Because we, we fast from food to be fed by God. I was experiencing that. And guys, let me tell you, when 40 days hit, I was hungry, right? And they all should have been like, yeah, I bet you were hungry, right? 
right? And so, uh, again, one of the most obvious things in Scripture, and I don't think that is just there for no reason. Everything in Scripture is there for a reason. If you're familiar with the broader uh, story of Scripture, the broader narrative of everything that's in the Bible, we'll know that uh, the chosen people of God, the Israelites, wandered in the desert uh, for 40 years after they were rescued from slavery. And so I think that 40 and that 40, there's definitely some parallels that happen there. And Moses, their leader, actually fasted uh, and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights on two separate occasions. So there's definitely a connection there where as, as Jesus is coming and living his life, he's setting up something new and saying this is actually uh, all tied into one big narrative. It's absolutely that. But I think there's this other thing that's really more practical, and that is uh, the science of it all is they say 40 days is about the longest you can go without food before you begin to experience permanent damage on your body. And so I think what we're getting here is this picture of what Jesus is doing at the early stages of his ministry are tied into the big picture of God's story at large, but it's also telling us that this is a big deal. His fast was supernatural. His fast was, was, was way beyond, which tells us when we fast from food, we're fed by God because the thing that sustained Jesus, that kept him going, that kept him filled was the fact that he was relying on his Father in heaven the entire time. I should note this too that oftentimes when scripture talks about fasting, going without food, remember it's to be done with a purpose in mind and usually it's attached to a, fo a time of focusing on prayer. So I'm going to fast from food to be fed by God and I'm going to focus in on praying. Whatever it might be, something in my life, something in someone else's life, perhaps it's, it's something that's affecting a nation. All these different kinds of storylines come into play in scripture. So here is Jesus, 40 days, 40 nights without food. He's hungry, he's feeling weak, physically, I'm sure, and at this moment, um, this is when the devil comes to work on him, okay? And, and he's hungry, but this doesn't necessarily mean that he was weak. He, had been not, he, had, he hadn't eaten for 40 days, but that doesn't mean he hadn't been fed for 40 days. We know this because when he faces the enemy, when the devil comes and begins to tempt him, we know that he's able to withstand and, and, and resist all of the things that Satan throws his way. Now, what Satan says to him, chapter three and or verse three and four, it says, the tempter came to him and said, check this, if you are the son of God, why, why would he say that? Because 40 days prior, Jesus was baptized, heard from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, and then he's wandering in the desert. So what the enemy is doing is he's saying, does your father really love you to leave you to wander in the wilderness for 40 days by yourself with no food? Yeah, we'll talk about love. That's neglect. That's where the enemy starts to attack. It starts to attack. But Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this tells us a couple of things. I'll talk first about what Satan does, and then I'll talk about uh, how Jesus responds and the importance of that. First of all, um, when the devil comes to tempt you, he is always going to hit you or attack you where he thinks you are the most weak. So in this instance, J the devil attacks Jesus with what? If you're the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. Because if you're hungry, what wouldn't you love more than the freshest loaf of bread? You still see the little steam coming up from it. It like calls you in if somebody down the street is baking. Like who wouldn't want that? Right, that's exactly where he goes. It tells us one thing. The devil will always hits you where he thinks he's weakest. The thing about the enemy is that he obviously didn't get what was going on in the big picture because he was wrong in this instance. Jesus was hungry, but that doesn't mean he was weak, remember? The second thing it shows us is that the enemy is not at all creative or innovative. Now, he is crafty, scripture says that. He will do whatever it takes to take you down because this isn't the most encouraging message, but it's the truth. The devil hates your guts. 
He hates my guts. He wants to destroy every single one of us. He wants to take all of us out. He wants none of us to have a credible reputation or a credible witness. He especially wants Christians to fall so that way it'll make them look bad, turning other people away from the living God. Absolutely all of that is true. But as creative and crafty as he may be, he's not very innovative. And the reason I say that is because the thing he's tempting Jesus with here in this moment is the very same thing he, cho- he, he chose to tempt Adam and Eve with when he tempted them in Genesis chapter three. So Genesis is this word for the beginnings and it tells the beginning of the story of God when he created, when he put humans on the planet and then when he began to um, walk in, 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 in harmony with them actually. So Adam and Eve, the first humans, this means that we, all of us, were meant to walk in harmony in a perfect relationship with our creator and they did this, they walked with him. They experienced an unbroken and untainted relationship with the living God and yet, God said, while they were in the Garden of Eden, you can eat whatever you want from any tree that you want to eat from, but you can't eat, I command you not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat from that tree, then you will surely die. What does the enemy do? He comes and he says, did God really say you can't eat that? He doesn't go right for the throat, right from the beginning. Instead, he tries to get in their mind a little bit. And he says, did God really say you can't eat from that tree. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that if God loved you that he would have a restriction. I mean, if God loved you, don't you think he would make everything totally free and you could just do whatever you wanted? Actually, don't you think that, you know, uh, God putting boundaries on you is actually, again, he's actually cramping your style as opposed to loving you and letting you be free? And they say, well, yeah, he said that if we eat that, we can eat anything, any tree, but if we eat from this tree, then we're gonna die. And then what does the devil say there? He says, you're not gonna die. You think you're going to die if you eat from this? Come on, that's obviously Jesus, or obviously God, you know, as he's giving this command, has such a big idea that he really, whatever it is, you're not going to die. He's not going to kill you. It's not going to, come on, right? And I don't know how you visualize the devil, and I don't know if you should, but you should be aware of that. But one of the things I do is I almost see him as like this conversational salesman kind of person who just finds a way to tell you exactly what you want to hear and get you to forget about all the things that you really should be doing. That's one of the ways I, I, that I, I, exp- I, I think about it, okay? Um, and so, for Adam and Eve, what we see is that there was this physical command, don't eat that tree physically, but it had a spiritual consequence because when Adam and Eve did eat from that tree, what happened? They bit the fruit, they handed it around, they saw that it was good for food actually, and neither of them dropped dead. There's something important about that. Because, and the devil might have been like, see, I told you you weren't going to die. We don't know how that, that interaction continued to go. But, but what's interesting about this is that this actually gives us a taste or gives us a, f- no pun intended, gives us a picture of what this whole fasting thing is about. Because as humans, we're actually spiritual and physical, and this is morphed together. This is actually put together into one. And Jesus' response to the devil at the time of his temptation helps us understand this. When he says in verse 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When Jesus says this, when he says man, he's not talking to men. This is actually the word referring to humanity. So he's saying all people everywhere have been created by God. Uh, all people everywhere. Uh, we, know we're, we were never meant to just rely on physical food. That's in our makeup from the very beginning. We were never meant to rely only on food. We were meant to rely primarily, first and foremost, on God. And yet when Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they broke his command, when they went against him, took taking things into their own hands, that all got broken and all of a sudden humanity thinks we actually do need these physical pleasures, we do need these physical sustenances more than we need the living God. But we've got to remember that fasting is not primarily about food, right? 
Fasting is about first and foremost making a decision to rely on God. Again, we fast from food to be fed by God because like I've said, we are not just physical beings. We're also spiritual beings. And these two components are knit together to make up the fabric of what it means to be a human. And when we choose to go without food, what happens is both sides of our existence are, are, are put to the test. Both sides of who we are and our completeness are, 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 are then brought into the picture. And maybe in a way that's different than all of the other pr um, spiritual practices. With when we come to fasting, we don't just have something that's spiritually challenging that we need to practice for, but now we've got something that is physically challenging that we need to practice for. And, and Jesus' response, man does not live on, on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there are actually three temptations in this whole passage. I'm only gonna handle this one for now um, for the sake of time. But when we look at Jesus' response and we say, yeah, Jesus, you nailed it. That was exactly the thing that anybody should have said. Of course, you'd be the one. But what we forget about sometimes is that he spent 40 days preparing himself for this. And when this temptation came and the first thing that Satan brought was food to the table or was brought food into the picture as the temptation, Jesus was saying, I've already been 40 days without food, but I've been 40 days being fed by no one but the living God. I can face this. And so in your own lives, you might be saying to yourself, I don't understand. Why don't I respond to temptation the same way Jesus responds to temptation? Why is it that when I get tempted to lie at work, uh, I, I can't resist that temptation? Jesus would have. Why is it when the temptation comes to look at porn again, I can't resist that temptation and I fall back into it again? Why is that? Jesus would be able to resist that. I don't get it. Am I doing something wrong here? And the big question that we've all got to ask is, well, are we actually following Jesus in the way that he lived his life? Because it's not that Jesus was able to just resist that on his own. It was because of the time of practicing the reliance on God. Because here's the thing. You might, get, you might go without food for some time and you might get a little bit hangry, right? You're hungry, you're angry, you're just frustrated with the whole world. It, when it comes to the temptations that are going to hit you the hardest, it doesn't matter if you've had three square meals. It doesn't matter if you had your Shakeology thing this week. It doesn't matter if you had any of those things because ultimately, humans being physical and spiritual, we actually can't stand up to the attacks of the enemy or anyone else without fully relying on God. And sometimes we think, I don't necessarily, I mean, every, I'm in good physical condition, I have my mental strength, you know, I'm playing luminosity all the time. I'm like, I'm feeling sharp and all that. And why can't I still stand up to it? Fasting teaches us in a really tangible way that we never could because we were never meant to. We were always meant to live life in harmony, in reliance with God. Fasting teaches us that we can't avoid temptation on our own, but we need God to get through everything. And we know that the moments that came to Jesus are moments in terms of his temptation are moments that are gonna come to us as well. And so one of the ways, one of the reasons rather we talk about this idea of spiritual practices is because we're getting ready for what may or may not happen, but typically does happen, right? So again, using the analogy of a sports team, they get together as a baseball team gets together and they, they have batting practice and they do grounding, all these different things because they know that the game is going to come. Well, the spiritual life, we know that these things are gonna happen. They're just not always on a schedule. And so this is one of the reasons why practicing is so important, keeping a regular routine. Okay, so this should beg the question, what did Jesus say about this? That's what he did, and we can look to him and we can learn from that, but what did he say about how we actually do this? And that's what we find when he's preaching a little bit later on. And he says, when you fast, uh-oh, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, 
for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, oh, he said it twice, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Did you catch that? Two verses, a lot in there, right? When you fast, I think it's boldened on the screen, emboldened, yeah. Did that for a reason. That's my emphasis added, but I think Jesus was getting to something here. He's implying or assuming that if we're going to follow him in the ways that he lived his life, that things like prayer, things like fasting are gonna be a part of how we live our life. Why? Because Jesus, the true human, is showing us the way that we were always meant to live and he teaches us with fasting that we were never meant to just live lives all on our own, making our own money, filling our own fridges, cooking our own meals. We were always designed to rely on God. And so he's saying, if you wanna experience life to the fullest, then you need to build in a rhythm into your life where you rely on no one except for God for your strength where you're fed by nothing other than him. And he says a couple of other things here that I think are quite obvious, right? He says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites are people who say one thing, but do another. Uh, the word actually goes back to these people who were stage actors that would wear a mask. They'd be putting on a show. They'd be putting on a play. And, and when he's saying it, it makes a little more sense because at the time, there would have been other people who were saying they were part of the spiritually elite group of people, a religiously elite group of people who, who likely fast on a regular rhythm of two times a week. And so he's saying, when you fast, don't be like the people that just want to be on a show. They just, want, they just want people to know that they're fasting, right? So, so when Lent comes, what's the first thing that a lot of people do? They post on social media the thing that they're fasting from, right? Or they say, I'm actually fasting from social media for the next 40 days. Well, just side note, you're actually not fasting from social media. You can abstain from things. The only thing you can fast from is food. Okay, scripture never gives any other context for fasting from anything other than food and drink. But when it comes to abstaining, those are also, also healthy, good products, or good products, practices, good practices to say, for a while, I'm going to abstain, I'm going to put this thing aside so it's not a distraction to me for whatever reason. But back to my original point, when you are about to fast and you put it on Facebook, then maybe all you've wanted, you've got to check your heart on this, is the attention of other people to say, wow, I can't believe they fast. What an awesome person right? And what Jesus is saying, if that's all you want, then don't, don't even bother because that's not what it's about. But rather your father who's in secret sees you and he knows you and that's where he rewards you. And, and, and so fasting um, in general is something that I think is countercultural. So figuring out a way to actually do it means we've got to have some tangible things we can practice. It's also difficult because we live in, as far as I'm concerned, one of the greatest cities in the world as far as food is concerned. Because you can get basically any type of food and the food you've never heard of very quickly. And for an extra $2, someone will drive it to your house now. You can just order it through the app, right? And so it's not an uncommon thing in some of the, with some of my friends circles say, hey, there's this new Ethiopian place they opened up. They got the greatest injera. We have to get there. And as I said that, half of the people in the room are like, what is injera perhaps, right? And that's part, there's like this foodie culture or it's like, um, hey, a bunch of us are going out after service for dim sum. That's not actually happening, just saying as an example. <laughs> Maybe some people are going out for dim sum. And you're like, oh yeah, that's great, I love dim sum. And it's even possible that you've been for dim sum and you're still not totally sure, like me, exactly what dim sum is, right? And it's as if in our culture, because we're so uh, surrounded by food, by this endless buffet, there's like this sense that like who you are as a person, you're cultured or you're not cultured is based on whether you've eaten this or not eaten that or have you eaten this place instead of that place, like come on which makes all of this very difficult. 
which makes building a routine of giving up food very difficult in a world that has endless amounts of food to offer us. And so, a couple of tips I wanna give you. Tip number one, don't bite off more than you can chew. Pun absolutely intended. When it comes to praying to God to say, Lord, lead me in terms of how I should introduce the practice of fasting into my life, don't bite off more than you can chew. Donald Whitney uh, wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. I would encourage you to pick that up. Um, He says, strictly speaking, abstinence from one meal for spiritual purposes constitutes a fast. So the length of the fast is up to you and what? The leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's important, right? Jesus, it says, after he was baptized, was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus shows us the spiritual practices are important important to live life to the fullest, but he also shows us that if we're gonna follow him, we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And what Donald Whitney is getting at at this point is saying, go to God and say, if I'm gonna introduce this into my, no, not if, when I introduce this into my regular rhythm of spiritual practices, how should I start? And I, I think, like, let's, Let's, let's ease into this. I wouldn't recommend saying that you're gonna do a 72-hour fast right from the beginning, right? One of the things that this book actually helped me understand was various categories of fasts um, that are described throughout scripture, right? So uh, individual fast, total fast, supernatural fast, corporate fast, um, uh, temperate, uh, partial fast, uh, all these different kinds of things. There's so many different ones. And I think one thing we need to do is say, okay, Father, God, heaven, in heaven, Uh, help me understand what I should start. Maybe that is gonna look like for you eating a light bedtime snack, going to sleep, and choosing to fast your breakfast and go through until lunch. And so you're looking at maybe 12 or 14 hours that you're going to fast. And while you're fasting, you have, you're not just going without food, but you've got a spiritual purpose in mind. And when you go to bed that night, you say, God, I am trusting you fully and completely. Actually, I think that sleeping is one of the greatest acts of trust in God that we can possibly do because we actually don't do anything to keep ourselves alive while we're sleeping, right? We're fully putting ourselves 100% in his hands. And so all the nappers are like, amen, brother, right, in the room. But you wake up in the morning and your stomach has that nasty feeling because you normally fill it with a piece of bread or some peanut, whatever you do. A- and then you say, no, that, that physical reminder is telling me that I'm relying on God because I'm fasting from food to be fed from God. I'm gonna use this time to pray. I'm gonna use this time to remind myself that I am being led by him and say, God, you be my strength because there's nothing else in me that's gonna keep me going other than this. And you break your fast at lunch. For some of you, maybe you've done this a little bit more often and you're gonna decide that now is the time where I'm gonna start actually introducing this in perhaps on a, on a, on a monthly basis. I'm gonna fast for a 24-hour period once a month. And the reason you're doing this is to focus on a spiritual purpose, to say, God, I'm trusting you in this. But that gets me into my next point, having a purpose in mind when you fast. If you don't have a purpose in mind when you set yourself to fasting, you're just gonna be hungry and mad. And you're not gonna be helpful to anybody, not to yourself, not to your family, not to your coworkers, not to anyone else you interact with. It's not gonna be good. And so fasting is meant to be helpful. Remember, it's not this physical disciplining of ourselves. Let's be miserable. Jesus says, put, slick, slick your hair back, dress yourself up like you would on a regular day and go about your business, right? I think having a goal in mind is helpful. And so a couple of things that Don Whitney recommends are, um, and this, this is actually only a very small portion of the list. There's about 20 things he gave as pictures from scripture, reasons or goals that we have in mind, purposes for fasting. One of them is to strengthen or focus on prayer. And so we are able to say, um, I'm instead of t- taking the 15 or minutes or the half an hour it takes me to run out and grab a bite to eat, instead I'm gonna use that time to pray because now we've got time that's made available to us, right? 
Uh, the other thing is, it's saying, God, when I pray to you, I am coming to you because I don't know what to do on my own anymore. I need you to respond and do something amazing. And when we're fasting, relying on him, being fed by him when he's our strength, then we're already saying, God, I already know what it means to have you take care of me in every instance. I know you can take care of whatever this request might be as well. Perhaps you're in a season of seeking God's guidance. And maybe you're saying, oh, maybe I need to change jobs. Or maybe I'm not really in the right school program. Or maybe you're deciding, should we have another kid? Or, or, or should we even have a kid? Or why can't we? Whatever it might be. We can't have our own children. Should we adopt? You're seeking God's guidance to make a really big decision. And I think one of the things that we do is we fast. And we say, God, I'm fasting from food to be fed by you, to be sustained by you. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. And it's all these other things. I put up there as an expression of repentance. Now I wanna be really careful with this one because I've been trying to make this point that we don't do any of these spiritual practices to please God or to gain his favor, but rather we do them as the result of knowing we're loved already, okay? So when, I, when he gives this example um, as, as a, a practice um, to express our repentance, what we're saying here is not, God, I'm gonna fast from food, I'm gonna hurt myself as like penance, as like payback to you, that's not what we're doing, but rather we're saying, God, um, as I repent, as I turn from the sin that I've been in, as I seek your forgiveness and your grace, as I know I'm forgiven of that, I'm going to fast because I know that when I'm on my own, living by my own strength, I lead myself into death. But when I put my faith and my hope in you and rely on you fully and completely, you give me life, and that includes this spiritual life, th that includes this forgiveness of sins, that includes this salvation. So this is not an act of trying to pay God back. We, we can't do that. Jesus paid that price for every one of us who's put our faith in him already. And there's a couple of other things that are there. Number three, I'm gonna recommend that you consider fasting in community. Maybe this is with your home group. Uh, we're not mandating this, but maybe this is, a, this is an, uh, a conversation for you to have. Maybe this is gonna be done with your family. Maybe there's a, a small group of people you meet to pray with on a regular basis, and there's something you've been praying, interceding on behalf of another person, perhaps, and you're saying, we're gonna do this together. This doesn't necessarily mean you all need to be in the same room when it's happening, but it does mean you need to be on the same schedule, encouraging each other, praying for each other, and then perhaps you come together and celebrate and break your fast together. Uh, don't bite off more than you can chew, have a goal in mind and practice it with a friend. Practice it in community. Fasting, remember, is not primarily about food. It's about deciding first and foremost to trust God in all things. And when we fast from food, or rather we fast from food, what did I write? <laughs> we fast from food to be fed by God. We fast from food to be fed by God. And really, I think that's what all of the spiritual practices are about. Changing the rhythm of how we live our lives, uh, getting outside of the regular schedule, changing our pace of life and saying, Jesus, in every aspect of this world, every aspect of, of my life that I'm living, I want you to show me how I can live it to the fullest because I believe that's what you did. And, and you know, let, let's go full circle all the way back to the sailboat. Right? If we're trying to learn this new way of life that's not rushing here and rushing there, then really we need to actually have this idea of being uh, a sailor, being someone who's on a boat, enjoying the journey, putting in the work, learning the knots, fix pulling up the mainsails, all of these different kinds of things. You know what sailors tend to do? Is that they go out on the water when the weather's great, when the weather's bad, when there's rain, when there's uh, really treacherous conditions, uh, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, they go out over and over and over and over again. And my friend that I talked to at the coffee shop, one of the reasons he said he loves doing it is because every once in a while, you get that day 
where the wind is perfect and it fills your sails and you cruise and you experience life or sailing like you never have before. And I think there's so much truth in that for the spiritual practices as well. Because the first time you fast might not be all that great. You might have the headache, you might have the dry mouth, you might have that weird queasy feeling where you feel like you got to puke but there's nothing inside you and you're like, what is this? What is the point of this? But you're going to fast, you're going to be committed, you're going to say, God, I fast from food to be fed by you. What is it I need to know from you, to be taught from you, to be sustained by you? What is it? Then you're going to fast again and again and you know what's going to happen? The day is going to come where the thing you were waiting to hear from God, uh, he's going to speak and you're going to get the wisdom that you needed from him. Or the person you've been praying for, you've been interceding for, they're going to get healed. And just like the sailors long for that perfect day, in the moment, we are going to experience the Holy Spirit of God filling the sails of our life, and we are going to move like we were actually meant to move. But when we're not practicing, when we're not preparing ourselves for it, we're not actually saying, God, I want to rely on you in all things. And so really, I want for every single one of us to experience the fullness of life, the joy the good gifts that God has for us. And one of the things Jesus invites us into is he says, come follow me. Let me show you how to live. Apprentice with me. I'm the master. I'm going to teach you the way. And this is one of the ways he teaches us. And so church, I want us to be like hungry together. Again, we're not mandating a corporate congregational fast, but I want us to be so hungry for the presence of God to encounter God in such a real tangible way that we can talk about all that he's doing and ways that we're going to get there is by saying, okay, Jesus, I follow you in your life and in these practices. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and, and I'm going to pray to close us. Father, I thank you for who you are, for your love, and that you feed us. And Lord, I bet there are people in the room who, who know what it means to be fed by you to be sustained by you, to be given strength from you, to be, give us, to be given focus from you, to be given wisdom uh, from you. And, and whether or not that's come as the direct result of fasting for food, from food, uh, I think, Lord, there are for sure people that have said, I know that God carried me through this season of my life. And so, Father, what I would love for all of, for all of us, for our whole church, is that we would know what it means to be fed a feast by you. Because Jesus, you, you don't just give us like a little bit of bread to keep us going. You give us an endless amount of spiritual food to eat. And you give, us the, the, you give us all the right breakdown of everything we need to strengthen us to go day by day living our lives spiritually. And so Father, I do pray, um, uh, Holy Spirit, that you, that actually, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, begin leading each one of us now towards figuring out when we're going to do this fasting thing that you'd help us to just find space or to make space in our calendars, that we would say, okay, I know a friend that maybe I can do this with. Lord, that you would give us a crystal clear picture or purpose that we can have in mind as we fast, as we long for you. And remember that we're not doing any of this to, to, to earn love or blessing from you, but knowing that you love us already, that you've got a plan for us, we say, God, we're gonna fast from food to be fed by you, to be led by you, to experience life the way that it was always meant to be experienced the way that you made us. So God, I do pray that for every one of us. I pray that we would know your grace, that we would know your love, and that we would see your calling us into these spiritual practices as an invitation. You're not yelling at us from a distance. You're not, you're not screaming and forcing us, hey, you get here and you do this thing. Instead, you're saying, no, no, trust me. I, I know what this life is meant to be. Trust me, follow me. Live like Jesus and watch how you experience the fullness of it. 
And so, Jesus, we do pray that you'd make this so in our own lives. We pray in your name. Amen.